0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, This is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Um, this is a particularly difficult week for some of our griefsters, and so this episode is entirely dedicated to all members of the DMC. Uh, if you don't know what that means, you haven't been listening long enough, uh, we call ourselves in this strange world that we live in. The, I'm in the DDC, the Dead Dad Club, and some people in the DMC, the Dead Mum Club, or you could be in the... DSC, the Dead Sibling Club, Dead Partner Club, but this week is a big uh, mountain of love for you to those members of the DMC because it is Mother's Day on Sunday and I'm sorry to even bring that up in a place that you were probably hoping to maybe not think about it but I just, I didn't want to not acknowledge it because I know how hard it is and um, since I've become aware of the DMC's uh, point of view, because I obviously am a DDC member, Um, it's really shocked me when you start thinking about how would I feel if I wanted to avoid all this Mother's Day stuff and it is so hard and as someone who's in the DDC I can tell you, you can kind of get away with avoiding Father's Day because they don't try and sell men things as much as they try and sell women things Um, so it is everywhere so I am sending you my sincere love I hope this week hasn't been a nightmare I hope it hasn't been too much of a reminder and I hope that for you, if you, where you are, it is Mother's Day on Sunday. I hope that it is bearable and okay. And for whatever reason that is touching you, whether you know it's not even because you're in the DMC, because you've lost a child, and whatever stages of, of uh, pregnancy, or them being older, or wh- whatever reason that that day is hard for you, please know that you are not alone. Um, we have been talking a lot on Twitter about how to help each other. Um, there will be a hashtag i'm just going to go for hashtag dmc so if you are this sunday you are alone and feeling crap please just use the hashtag dmc um, i will do my best to uh, retweet that and stuff but if you are feeling crap and you want to find other people who are understanding who you're feeling please use the hashtag dmc Because of what this week is, I wanted to choose an episode that kind of obviously dealt with someone who had lost their mum, Um, but also because I think it's so important in the show to come back to difficult relationships. Not all of us have great relationships, and so when someone dies it can be just complicated in a completely other way, because it's not just that they've died, you also maybe feel bad about your relationship, and I think this episode hopefully really touches on a lot of how it feels to lose someone, and how it feels to lose someone under, yeah, difficult, trying circumstances, and even saying that doesn't cover quite what we talk about. Um, the lady I'm talking to this week is a fantastic and brilliant actor and improviser. Her name is Charlie Russell. She is a member of Mischief Comedy. Um, if you don't know them, you might have seen one of their plays on London's West End or on BBC television. They did The Play That Goes Wrong, Peter Pan Goes Wrong, a comedy about a bank robbery, and they've also uh, had lots of BBC specials as well. Um, I've known her for some time but I didn't know this story and it was an absolute privilege to hear what Charlie has been through and survived and how amazingly she has dealt with what life has handed her. So this is Charlie Russell talking about her mum. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with actor and one of the members of the Mischief Theatre Company, Charlie Russell. Hello. Hello.
2: Hello. Um,
1: if people don't know, they might not necessarily know Mischief Theatre, but they will know the plays that you guys have done. Mm, Do maybe, to? yeah, yeah. I think so. So, Mischief created The Play That Goes Wrong. The Play That Goes Wrong, Peter Pan and, Goes Wrong. And a comedy about a bank robbery. Which... At one point, your theatre company had
2: three shows on in the West End. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> which still makes my mind like... We actually did twice. We did this year as well because oh we have Mischief Movie Night, which used to be Lights, yes. Camera, Improvise, which yes. you know. Yes. Um, so we started as an improv company and our show was Lights, Camera, Improvise, an in- a long-form film-based improv show. Yeah. Changed the name, Mischief Movie Night, and had it on at the Arts last Christmas and then took it on a tour this year. Wow! But last Christmas we had three shows on as well. That is incredible. Just is brush like, my shoulder. I, I, are you
1: guys the only ones to have done that?
2: No, the National.
1: Oh well, well the fucking National. <laughs> yeah, the National. Uh, I should think so
2: too, the National. If you're not, if you haven't got three shows, then what are you doing? Yeah, they, well as and they've had three shows on at the West End. In yeah, the, you know, like, I think they had War Horse and and One Man and. Curious Incident all oh, at the same time or something. Right. I, but, but they,
1: to be fair, are a very old established arts, you know. And they they get money. They get money. So um, just so people don't know, and because I think it's such an amazing story, so how did Mischief Theatre start? So Mischief Theatre began as the Scat Pack. Um, <laughs> Back
2: in the day, I, I wonder. Scat Pack. I wonder why we changed our name. Yeah,
1: dudes, when you called yourself Scat Pack, I thought, oh, guys, it's a tough name.
2: Well, we were young. <laughs> and you were we were young, you were we young. We didn't know, and then we got all these weird, like private messages on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> like pictures of people's
1: poo. yeah I remember the first time it came someone was like they're called cool, what and I was like I know but they are really nice and really good honestly they're not like, they're not the about ship
2: horn um <laughs> So it was because Scat is is improvising singing, right? Sure. You guys are coming from a very sweet point of view. Yeah, really sweet, really innocent. So, so you met...
1: Uh, did you meet at Lambda?
2: Yes. Well, um, a load of people did the foundation here at Lambda, taught by Adam Aguido. Another, who, grief-cast another guest, griefcaster, Another yeah. Griefcaster, listen. And they formed a company, the Scat Packs. That's Henry Lewis, Josh Elliott, Dave Hearn, Mike Bodie, Harry Kershaw, I might have forgotten somebody. They all created it. Then, then Henry Lewis continued on at at Lambda for three years while Dave went to Rose Bruford and Harry went to RADA and Josh became a doctor (laughs) and um, Jonathan who I had known from my foundation year joined the company and then he got me to join and then I ended up getting into Lambda and then Nancy and Henry Shields were doing the foundation year the while I'd been doing my foundation year it was a bit of a mix. It was all in the same place, at the same at the time. Same time. And so we all got start, together. Yeah. And you started doing it was just it was improv show basically, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was improv. It was a long form improv show yeah. that we wanted to take to Edinburgh.
1: Then you decide well, you guys came up with the play that went wrong. The play that went The play that goes wrong, yeah. The play that goes that,
2: wrong. Do you it's know what? We get that all the time. It's fitting that I got it wrong, right? Everybody does. Yeah. And actually, it's, yeah, it is fitting. And we use it in all of our sort of marketing and that kind of I thing. I love the marketing for the show. It's it was brilliant. Every isn't time it?
1: I look at it, I think, oh, that's, oh, I see. Because there's
2: always something wrong on the poster. And I'm always throwing, I'm like, they put something upside down. Oh, no, I think they meant to do that. We had correctly. a great one as well where our well, first year that we'd gone into the West End, we got a really bad review. Um, and we were a certain person's worst show of 2014 (laughs) and we used it. Amazing. (laughs) And people thought it was another joke and we were like, nope. No, that's real. But uh, there's a sketch. He's since since had a slight turnaround. Oh, they often do, don't
1: they? (laughs) What a nice thing to go through with it because you're all such lovely friends and you're all still friends, aren't you? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. And Dave and I (laughs) love (laughs) us. Happened during the process, darling. It did, darling. So, yeah, yeah, a couple of years after uh, I met Dave in the company, we were friends. We were always like, really close it was oh dave and charlie you know we hang out and then um and then i gnarled him i gnarled him oh, i, I, gnarled him. I, I pinned like, him i was like is this
1: youth speak and you i was like no it's speak. lion king it's i lion definitely king know like, that
2: i know that we were play fighting i gnarled him and i, I licked him in the face and then <laughs> it all began and now we have a house and a cat there's always one couple that's what i find actually
1: ostentatious doesn't have one we've avoided it my first improv group, there was a couple and they broke up and it destroyed the group. So whenever um, anyone ostentatious was like, "Oh, what about trying so and so? I'm sleeping with them," I'd be like, "No, no, nope. <laughs> no, no, boyfriends, no girlfriends," because it just always, it, especially in improv. I suppose it's slightly different. Well, you know, you're still doing the improv show, but what I find in improv is like, if people are like having to do love scenes. Everyone just gets a bit awkward. It gets weird. It gets a little bit weird. Dave and I often aren't. No, the couples never do. We never, never each other's lover.
2: But then you're just watching. Or you have to kiss your friend's boyfriend. You're like, is this... Oh, we're so over that, that, thankfully. Yeah. We've had to do that so often. Um, I've kissed everyone in the company. Male and female on stage. And probably off as well. Who knows? (laughs) Um, So we're kind of... That's all fine. But we do find that we don't end up being romance on stage. But if we are a couple on stage in improv, we play that we're a really established couple. Oh, so recently we were these vampires that were like were, had been like going out for a couple of hundred years. <laughs> yeah, because you can, because you've got that like comfort with somebody. Yeah, it's very oh, weird, and then often in the shows, our characters have a lot to do with each other. It, yeah. It's too much. We need to separate our lives. <laughs> David's over. It. This is how I'm telling you.
1: Oh, well, I think it's an amazing. Like amazing journey. I've, uh, having watched you guys from, from the Scat Pack days, I'm very glad you changed your name. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I didn't like telling people to go and see Scat Pack, but I'm very happy to tell people to go and see Mr. Theatre. But obviously that's not why not we're, we're today. here today. That's why I know you. But who are we remembering today,
2: Charlie? So we are remembering Fiona Russell, Fiona Russell. who uh, is my mum. That's a lovely name. Fiona Russell.
1: I always like the names, but that's how that sounds. Was she an actor?
2: No, no, Gosh. she did Amdram. Oh, it sounds like an actress, doesn't it? Well, she was called Foe. Everyone called her Foe. F- oh, not even Fee, she went for Foe. She went for Foe.
1: That's very she cool. She was Foe. and then we called her Mumble. This is, this is like something out of a Gerald Durrell novel. I'm very happy about it.
2: Mumble, why did Mumble come from? I don't know, it's probably my sisters. I have two older sisters, and they're, they're always clever, and um, I think... They came up with it, I think. Someone oh. just started calling her mumble. Because we called her mum. But mummy wasn't right anymore. Yeah. And then it was like a little mumble. Because she was sort of a little mumble. She was really short. <laughs> oh. About five foot two. I mean, we're not, none of us at all, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Foe. Foe's Foe. lovely. Foe was really cool, yeah. So, how old were you when she died? Well, um, I was 18 mm. that day. Oh, Lordy! <laughs> Oh love it. It's such a good one. She died on your eighteenth birthday. She did.
1: Oh, I am mumble. like a fairy tale character. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's back up. Right. So, yeah. so okay, we have to back up from that. So, what did she
2: die of? So, so medically, yeah, she died of cirrhosis of the liver and and multiple organ failure. Right. Um, that was due to abuse of alcohol. Wow. Um, but that was because of, um, I believe, uh, her mental health problems. So she had bipolar. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm really keen to say today that in no way do I want anything to add to the stigma around, mm. um, or any shame around mental health, but also I, it's really important that it's not dismissed or undermined yeah, yeah. and everyone knows how important it is that we talk about it and, um, yeah. Because in a way, it was it was the stigma that kept her fighting against the fact that she had a mental health problem. Yeah, she would yeah. always say that she didn't have a mental health problem. So often tried to stop taking her medication, which then would make her worse. And when she was having a spiral of either manic or depressive episodes, um, she also abused alcohol. Right. So... For me, it's very important that people are okay with having mental health problems because maybe they wouldn't take um, medication. Yeah, turn to
1: the alcohol. Yeah. So, yeah, so technically she died of... Serous liver, but yes, the cause of that is something else. Mm. When did you find out she was bipolar, or was she always like? Was that always a thing in your childhood?
2: So she developed mental health problems after I was born. So um, I've got two older sisters, twelve and eight years older than me. Wow! And when I was born, she started to develop it. I don't know quite how soon, but it was definitely around by the age of four. By the age, by the time I was four. Mm. I think she was first diagnosed with schizophrenia and then depression and then bipolar as is, o- is often the way in, right. the, in the mental health profession. They, you know, it's always hard to pin down because yeah. everything is always so um, nuanced and different for every person. You know, she, 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 she always used to say she might have had um, some postnatal depression after I was born, but we're not sure. She'd also had a lot of difficulty in her life. Um, so it might have been beginning earlier, but we know that, Um, people noticed it around the age I was four um, because so I know this is a story about grief but in a way I have to tell this like long story Yeah, we have to like
1: work it yeah to Um, to kind of go
2: back Uh, so my dad was in the navy um, and was not generally at home and my sisters were at boarding school um, due to the whole navy thing but by the time I was born my dad's we weren't moving around as much so I was at home with my mum and that's when the mental health problems and alcohol began. Mm. Um, so there was a, a period of time where nobody realised what was happening. Um, and so she would get uh, drunk every evening and I would try and look after her as a sort of four and five-year-old. Do you remember that? Do you vague, remember thinking yeah. like, oh, I've got to watch mummy or make sure she's okay? So <clears throat> it's really hard. And I, I, I have these snapshots of memories. So mm. I don't have a full... I don't quite know the order sometimes that things come in. I also am not entirely sure what I've since built through photographs know, and what people have told me. Memories, it's so hard, yeah. isn't it? You just think, oh, maybe it's just a photo. Maybe it was just what someone told me. But um, I do remember knowing that it wasn't good. That Mum was definitely not well, but not knowing that it was something I needed to tell anyone about. Mm. Not knowing necessarily that it didn't happen to other. P- I think I knew it didn't happen to other people. Um, and so, yeah, occasionally I would um, try to help her. But usually she would put me to bed first. Mm. And then she would um, drink. And then she would call people. Um, in her mania, she would ring up anyone and everyone, including my dad, and, and have um, sort of rouse down the phone. Wow. And then I would wake up and, and and sort of listen to all of that. Um, and there were a couple of, of occasions where... Well, there was one specific occasion where I had to leave the house in the in at night, or it felt like night it might have been only eight o'clock, but it was dark mm. outside anyway and I went to some neighbour's house and you know asked for help and I think another time the p- police might have gone for so you literally went and were like, "I have to go and get an adult situation like well, this was um one night uh she got really drunk and I had slept in her bed and then we woken up and she'd um she'd been sick and then she said I'm dying Um, and being about five or six I think I was like oh my mum's dying if my mum tells me she's dying she's dying she's not just hammered Um, so I I got I remember getting into my bedroom putting my shoes and my socks on and knowing because I was going outside I needed to put a jumper on Oh, no. And I went across the road and I looked right, left and right again oh and then knocked goodness. on the door and said my mum's dying to our neighbours who are lovely and they, they kind of knew and so yeah. they, they fixed it. Um, but eventually, um, I think it was my grandma, my mum's mum who'd come to visit, my dad thought... That because mum had asked for a divorce, mm. dad had thought, Oh, I've just been such a shit husband. And he, you know, he wasn't perfect. It's just come to roost like it's time. Yeah, mum, yeah. ha- you know, she hates me and we're having a divorce and it's all my fault. Um, and my grandma, who, and they'd never really gotten on, um, my mum's mum and my dad, but my mum's mum said, It's not your fault, David. It's, mm. it's, she's not very well because my, my grandma had been a nurse. Right. Wow. And so then mum got sectioned and I went to live with that grandma because my dad was you know, in the Navy and my sister's boarding school. And then, um, I came to live at home again, but she thing with it, with bipolar is, you know, she would, she would be taking the medication and she'd be fine. And then what would happen is that sort of the really, really dangerous voice that says you're better now. Mm, yeah. So you see, you don't need the medication and so she'd stop and then it would just sort of start again. And those spirals might be years apart. Yeah. Those don't downward dips. Um, But as we got a little older, as I got a little older, um, they started to become... The space between them became less and less. Um, And then when I was about 15, it was really starting again. And it's just so difficult because Dad and I have talked about it since, you know... She had this conversation with Dad. She was like, I'd like to stop taking my medication again because I think I'm better. She'd always wanted to stop having to take medication. So you think she felt uncomfortable with that label? And Definitely. Having to, yeah, you need pills because you're crazy kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, And imagine someone telling you right now, yeah. "Carrie, you're crazy. What you just did right there with the yeah. cup of tea and the biscuits was mental. Everyone thinks you're mental. You'd be like, no, I'm not. I feel anxious already. <laughs> yeah, like, don't yeah. put me, don't incarcerate me. Don't put me yeah. in a hospital. I'm not crazy. Everyone else is crazy. And it's horrible. But And then add to that, like, the sh- stigma and the shame. She Especially was, back then. Back then. It was
1: definitely not talked about. And
2: also being a, a, a captain's wife and a Commodore's yeah. wife, you are meant to maintain a level of sort of, I don't know what, like, prestige. Yeah. Something horrible like an, and toxic. An, a sort of facade, a facade right. of everything's fine. Oh, God, because yeah. we didn't talk to anyone about it. Wow. Didn't talk to anyone. And I guess
1: your sisters were not around as much because they were at boarding school. So yeah. you kind of, like, not bearing the brunt, that sounds like, of course, they must have bor- borne a different brunt. Oh, yeah. but like, did. But, like, did you feel quite isolated? Like, you were the one at home with her.
2: I think... It is just a different experience for everyone because in a way, for them, being away... Oh, yeah, it must have been equally awful. Because something's going on at home that they don't even know what's happening and then they'd get little calls or a a snapshot or Charlie's going to live with Grandma now or we're moving house or Mum's ill again or something. And they weren't there and that must have been just horrendous for them. Also, they were amazing with me. Yeah. I was their special little sister and they were so good with me, but... But then yes, um, you know I just had a lot of it firsthand, yeah, um, yeah. and and also I I never quite shook the feeling that um, it happened after I was born, and yeah. had maybe I not been born, it might not have happened,
1: That's, and my
2: sisters wouldn't yeah you know all of this. But um, but
1: also it's there's so much more research now about what happens hormonally after birth, and it's very possible it did happen after she had those children, but it was you know it wasn't triggered as much hormonally mm. and then perhaps the last birth was more but that doesn't and there'd been a miscarriage as oh well god, and yeah, oh god I mean, yeah and she probably didn't get any no. counseling or help to do with that or oh even, no you didn't yeah. go to
2: counseling counseling yeah. meant you were crazy and you yeah. had a problem whereas now I believe counseling is one of the signs of a very healthy attitude yeah. and a healthy place because you are able to make a positive choice for yourself mm. But at the time, no, 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 you didn't go to counselling. And she didn't, couldn't speak to anyone about anything. She was very, very lonely and isolated. That must have been so hard for her.
1: Yeah, I think it was really, really hard. Especially, like, I, I can... Obviously, I've got no-one in the Navy, but I can imagine that the wife of a in the Navy yeah. and what you expected and two girls at boarding school and then another young child, like, you know, I've only got one kid and the pressure on that is horrendous some yeah. days. I can't imagine what she must have been...
2: Plus... Having a mental health problem, like it must have been really, yeah, God, so difficult. She also, I think, started to feel a little bit like the black sheep, and the, yeah. is it a pariah? Is that the right yeah, word? Yeah, yeah. Um, and because my dad, as well, you know, he's an amazing man and um, was quite a high achiever. So he was the first captain of the first Trident submarine, Trident right. nuclear submarine. Wow! And he left the navy as a commodore. Um, and there's a bit of a thing, like at parties, where he would leave the party at about ten because if he was around, all the younger officers couldn't have fun. Oh, right, so my yeah. mum had to leave too. Yeah. And so she wasn't meant to really talk and hang out with the wives of the younger officers yeah. because they were these they were the established the Ramadan, people. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's like that anymore. i my life is so far away from the military life now, but it was really, really hard for her. And also because she was an amazing mother. Mm. When she was amazing. So before I, before I was born and when I was around, she was like, one of us has each won a costume competition. <laughs> that she made a costume out yeah. of scratch. Yeah. She was always the one with the winning dessert at something. She was a qualified lifeguard. She taught English and numeracy to prisoners in prison. <laughs> prisoners in Spain. No, prison's in prison. Yeah. And uh, she was a teacher as well. She trained as a teacher. She, amateur pianist. She did amdram. She had loads going on. But the big thing was that Foe was this amazing mother. And then when she got ill and mm-hmm. her baby was taken away from her, oh, God, yeah. suddenly the thing that she had really identified with... Yeah, that's who I am. I am a mother. I'm re- and I'm really darn good at it. Mm. Suddenly, no, you're not good at it. And that, affected her later so even though she was still ill it became another stick that she beat herself with and and obsessed over um, you know my when you were taken away from me um, but of course when I was 14 I'm like it's happened mum come yeah, on yeah. get over it please because you're 14 you just want to say that you just want to say please like it's okay let's just move on um, it's so difficult when you're a teenager to have any
1: perspective on what an adult is talking about mm. Yeah, it's like when my dad died, it was like, I just, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't see the sadness that they, like, I remember, maybe you had this, people looking at me with like such pain in their eyes, maybe like, I mean... Yeah, it's sad, but like, why is everyone like? But you know, now you know as an adult, seeing a fifteen-year-old going through something, you think, "Oh, I just want to help you. You're so young. You're a little Mm, child, mm. and the world is awful, and I want to protect you." But when you're fifteen, you're like, "Guys, what's the big deal?" (laughs) Like, it's very difficult to because you can't, you can't have any perspective on it because you're fourteen, you're fifteen, you don't understand, and you don't
2: know anything else. And that's the thing I talk to people about. Other, you know, when they were teenagers, and I'm going, "God, was that what it was like? Is that what sometimes it was like for people?" Because when I came home, it was just a whole new you know, home from school or something. It was like a double life because I didn't tell anyone at school. I went to a few different schools and and I had wonderful friends and everything and I had a great time, but I didn't tell them much. I think because, as I'm sure lots of people have experienced or know people who have mental health problems, if you tell the wrong person, those sometimes people, and particularly when the young people, will react in a way that they Mm. are... They're like all dirty like contagious yeah I don't really want to deal with it and that I remember having that when I was really little really young seven or something trying to tell a, a friend who is also seven so yeah. totally not her fault <laughs> but I went ah you don't tell people you yeah. don't tell people about it because they'll they'll you'll repel them and you'll end up alone so I didn't tell anyone and then and and you know also uh, I hated her so much at mm. times. Of course, like, of course. Why do you have to be like this? Mm. Why do you have to drink? I'd be so angry at her whenever she went to the bottle. I'd be like, you've ruined it. you ruined it again. We were all right. Because I used to hope, you know, that, oh, that was the last time. We're better now. And it used to be my birthday wish, you know, that mum doesn't get ill again. And then she would. She always would eventually get ill again. And actually, that's because that's what life's like. Mm. You, you You don't get like a... And everything's better. No. But then I I learnt not to enjoy good times. Yeah. I was very sort of like, I'm having fun, but that means something bad is probably coming. Don't let your guard down. Yeah. Don't relax. Be prepared so that it doesn't embarrass you as much as Mm. it does every time it happens again. And and disappoint you again when it happens again. It's
1: amazing how much you um, (coughs) go to protect yourself. Mm. And I think we don't realise that kids like... Like, I know that feeling of being like, oh, right, don't tell anyone, lesson learned. Rather than being like, oh, I'm seven. I told a seven-year-old. They don't get it. I should tell, uh, you know, someone older, an adult. And But you don't have any of that perspective. Mm. So you just think, oh, right, okay. And I remember, like, one, you know, when my dad died, I was like, right, people die. You can't trust anything. The world is going to disappear any minute. Got it. Oh. But it's like, but in your head, that's very logical. Mm. And it, there is a logic to it. Mm. But it's so hard to... Yeah, to help a teenager or help a child out of that that thought process because Mm. we're always looking for logic and we're looking for like, oh, that's why it happened. So I can totally understand being like, right, she'll never get better. That's fine. Got it. Don't worry, guys. So Don't, don't trust her. Don't trust her. Fine. Yeah. Now I know. Now I can relax. Here's my rule. Yeah. Because you just want something stable, don't you? Like that. You really now do. I know. That's how
2: life is. Okay, great. You well, want the- control and you want rules yeah. that you can follow. And also, it would happen the other way around. You were talking about the ad- the adults, the way they look at you. Yeah. So I could see that in my family, the people who did know. I felt a sort of preciousness around me because. I'm the one that had been removed from home, in a slightly traumatic set of circumstances. Lived away with my grandma, who was wonderful and awful in her own way. (laughs) Um, And everyone was sort of watching me to see what I would do. Yeah. And so I would smile and play around Mm. and make them laugh and be happy and the relief on their faces the happiness that made them the joy they all went oh my god she's okay yeah i went ah okay so this is what i need to do this makes everyone around me really happy this makes everyone want to be around me is when i'm really happy all the time and don't have a problem with anything and that was fine and it worked for so long, I'm not like longer than it should have done, until I got to ba- basically Lambda yeah. and was like, I'm happy all the time, I'm happy all the time, why am I not making really close friendships? Why am I not making really intense connections with people? And it's only been years after that, I mean I did and I have wonderful friends from Lambda because they were patient with me, but like, I'm not, I'm going... I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Two things are wrong with that. One is nobody likes that person because everybody has a really bad day and no one wants the person that goes, (laughs) well, I'm fine, so I'm great. Nobody likes that person. Two, it's also never true. There are going to be days when I have a bad day and everybody can tell. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going, no, no, it's fine
1: and I'm not I think that's it. It's people can honest. smell
2: it. People yeah. can smell it
1: and they can't always um, vocalize it. But they know you're lying about something. Yeah. So then they're a bit funny with you because they're like, mm, there's something odd about that person. I don't know what it is, but I don't, but really, I don't trust them because they say one thing, but
2: I know it's not true. They're not relaxed. They're yeah. not therefore having loads of fun. And I'm going, what's wrong? I thought if I'm ever down or sad, I'll push people away and I'll end up alone. And yet what's happening is,
1: yeah.
2: I'm still not quite
1: yeah, I'm happy and perfect. And I'm happy I'm, and perfect and, and, I'm alone. <laughs> and I, I never
2: have a problem with anything and I laugh about the fact my mum's dead. Yeah, oh, I make yeah, loads yeah. of dead mum jokes. And I do and I don't mind that and I, I'm i cool with it actually and, and and a lot of the time I'm... Relaxed to talk about it and I don't mind making a funny joke but
1: relax is so different to everything's
2: fine yeah
1: yeah but that of course I understand because if it works in your family and um the Rebecca Paynton episode um who her dad died when she was very young and then her sister was murdered and she oh
2: god I remember listening to that yeah
1: she talks well she was I thought really interesting like oh they say kids are resilient she's like they're not they just give you what we just do what you want. Mm. We just work out what do, what do you want? Oh, you want this? And mm. I think that's so important when people are like the ki- whenever someone says to me, "Oh, like the kids are being really fine if a parent's died," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> they're being fine now." Like that's what we mean by kids are resilient. Teenagers less so. Adults even less so. Mm. Like kids can pretend quite well. Like you said, it works for a long time. Teenagers can pretend up to a point, and then you get to be an adult, and you're like, I. I can't do this anymore and I think that's what you're trying to get to those kids to go you don't have to pretend you don't have to pretend Mm -hmm. everything's fine I definitely was guilty of that of being like I'm just going to be the one that's you don't have to worry about don't worry about
2: me I'm actually fine
1: about it I'm fine I'm cool I'm fine and I'm just going to be get on with everything and be normal yeah
2: and it was practiced you know yeah because when mum would get ill um my sisters, happened to my sisters too, of course, you know, we couldn't really slam doors and yeah, shout and yeah. scream at our dad or our mum because there was something much bigger going on. Yeah. And then when mum was better, you didn't slam doors or scream or shout at your mum and dad because you didn't want to disturb the peace. Yeah. So I don't think either, any one of us three, wherever went mental.
1: Yeah.
2: And we didn't go crazy when she was unwell and we didn't go crazy seemingly outwardly when she died. Yeah. And I was, I'm strong, this is who I, I define myself on being strong. And actually, it was, it was Rebecca Payton said, you know, the child that's expressing themselves yeah, oh, is potentially healthier than the yes. one that isn't. I say that all the time when they're like, oh,
1: we're really worried about X, Y and Z because, you know, they're really crying. I'm like, go for the one that's not crying. The one that's crying is telling you and expressing it. The one who's going, mm-hmm. I'm fine.
2: Mm-mm-mm, There's that's- been a car accident. Go to the silent person. Yeah. They're, they're, they've got serious issues. The one's crying often actually their injury might not be as bad. Yeah, it's just yeah. a strange thing. So what, so
1: what happened
2: then? How, oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, so basically, when I got to about fourteen, fifteen, um mum was in another diamond spiral. She'd asked her to come off her medication. And dad, they'd had that conversation. He's like, please don't. We know what happens when you stop. And <laughs> yeah. she said, but you'll tell me that it's happening and I'll take them again. And he said, yes, but by that point, you, you won't, won't listen know. to me. Yeah. And she says, I promise you I will. And dad said you know he said to me very recently, it's just like one thing I couldn't do was remove her free will.
1: Yeah, yeah. I course. just couldn't
2: do that to her. So if she wanted to stop, I couldn't stop her. Obviously sectioning technically is when that happens down the road, that's for their benefit for the if someone's in danger to themselves or others, I believe. But um so you know, we all agreed and then she got unwell and then the deal was right back on your medication. But when mum was unwell, um, dad was enemy number one. Like He was the devil. So she said she wanted a divorce. And dad said, I'll give you a divorce when Charlie's 18 and she's finished school and she goes off to university. um, We can get divorced and you can stop taking medication for the rest of your life. But until then, you have to take medication. That's the deal. She said yes. A couple of months later, me and dad are going, "Mm, mum isn't 100%. -hmm. And we realised she'd secretly stopped taking her medication. So then dad said, okay it's a divorce and I know that for dad he's like oh god what am I doing I'm divorcing their mother and I think their relationship had obviously um, yeah. been through it by that point but he said oh am I doing an awful thing and it was me I think I was 15 I just went dad please get a divorce <laughs> please can we live somewhere else I'm exhausted yeah and I feel terrible about that now no, sometimes but
1: it's, it's like how it, it's truth it's truth it's difficult it's difficult to live someone with a mental health problem it doesn't yeah.
2: I, I think there's no point pretending, like, mm. oh, no, it was real fun. <laughs> yeah, but and like, I, was, I was doing weird things. Like, I was in the rowing team, which is comedy because I'm tiny yeah. and terrible at sport. And I was I was doing things every night after school, every lunch, and, bef- and something before school most days, and two things at the weekend. Mm. And I was obviously trying to avoid spend, spending as much time as I could at home. A teacher was looking at me like, you're exhausted, what's going on? I sort of broke down and told her everything. And then she was offering to have me at her house over the GCSEs. And my dad went, oh, my God, we do need help. Like, yeah. we can't do this anymore. So he, he and mum got a divorce. And so then when mum was living on her own, um, there's no one to to check her mm. and her behaviour and to stop her. So it sort of went on a big, long wow. spiral. And she became quite a different person Um And I would see her once a week or once every two weeks. Did she have any help at that point? Was anyone sort of... Yeah, so she'd have these um, mental health professionals, I don't really know, uh, who would come and visit her Mm. and check on her. Um, And she got some disability benefits and things because she couldn't work. But it was a really tough time because she was living on her own for two years, um, getting drunk all the time. She got robbed once. I'm quite embarrassed, just like, I get... Sad about it. Because she brought, like, a drinking buddy back. Aww. But, of course, he was a drinking crazy drinking buddy. Yeah. And he nicked, like, loads of her stuff. Like, loads of her really precious things. Um, and then it was my final year of school. And it was sort of exams. And I was going to visit her. And I remember going to her house. Because I was the only one who could really see her. Like, my sisters came as much as they could as well. Um, they Just to say, they were massively part of this story. But I'm not going to tell their story. Yeah, but, of course. Um, so they would come all the time. But Dad... She couldn't see Dad. Uh, She wouldn't see Dad. And I remember going to see her, and she was so thin, to the really skeletal, Mm. her face. And I remember trying to get her to eat. Um, I bought her some Ferrero Rocher, because she really liked Ferrero Rocher. And um, trying to just get her to eat some. And I was 17, and I was sitting with my (laughs) mum. She was so weak, and... um, and I didn't know what to do and I didn't really tell anyone. <laughs> I think I told Dad that she wasn't very well. I told my sisters that she was really thin. And the health people went round and eventually she got taken to hospital.
1: But I- so, I mean, what what the fuck are you supposed to do?
2: Yeah. Like, where's the, where's the exam on that or the guidebook on that sort of yeah. situation? Like, And also, I was having a really good time at school. I had great friends and a re- I was having the fucking time of my life at this school for, in uh, that I went to for sixth form. And... My exact my A levels were happening, and I hadn't been to see her for three weeks, and then I get this phone call from my sister, who has written down as her next next of kin, saying she's gone into the, to the hospital, um, and I just the night before i I'd, I'd gone round this this boy's house, so I was seeing this new boy, and um, he was a bit older. And I think we might have even had sex for the first time. And then the morning, I get this call from my sister, and I thought, oh, God. And I sort of had to tell him what was going on and what, wow. what had led up to this moment. And I said, look, mate, I don't mind. You can get out of here right now. Yeah, yeah. Do not worry about it. I will never judge you. And he was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And then we ended up going out for two and a half years, and he basically saved my life. Wow. Um, it didn't work out for the better for both of us, but he stuck around and taught me that there was a part of me that was still lovable Mm. and I'm so grateful to him for that um so yeah so then she was in hospital for a week and I saw her on the first day and uh, and then my sisters came down and my dad came and my dad and my mum saw each other and it was fine and it was actually really really nice and I remember dad sitting on the bed with her and they started giggling about something because mum was a terrible smoker she smoked like 40, 50 a day but the fucking fags never got her man (laughs) um I mean, she had early onset of emphysema, but it wasn't getting her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was letting the booze do that. And, uh,
1: and so why did they take her into hospital? Was that So she was
2: thin, so thin. So thin. So she just basically wasn't She, she was drinking herself. herself to death. Yeah. Um, and her, bo- her organs were shutting
1: down. So that's why they then called in and you're seeing her in hospital. Yeah. sort of, I guess, trying to rehydrate her and all that sort of Yeah. Thing. So yeah. she was in
2: intensive care and then she wow. moved to high dependency and then she moved to the liver ward. But I remember, because I was the only person that saw her on the first day, I was like, this is the best she's ever been. And every day after that, I was like, she's worse than the day before. Trust me, she's getting worse. But they were moving her, downgrading yeah, her, yeah. her ward. And then one day she was on the liver ward and I went to see her and I, oh, I just don't wish... To I had to feed her um, this, like, puree, mm. like baby food. and Because she, she couldn't feed herself. Um... And I was hot. I was just—it's like my ribs just crack and cave in when I think about it. She ended up going back to intensive care, and my sisters were all—you know—the whole family was in. I think her, her sister had come and her brother had come, and they'd always had a difficult time because of my mum's illness. But mm. they sort of had a really nice time and made peace. So I don't know whether mum knew what was going on or not.
0: stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
1: welcome back to Griefcast with carrie Adloyd. so it's funny the way she yeah. went into like you said she went into intensive care got downgraded downgraded and then went back to intensive care yeah it must have been so hard for you, Charlie, to kind of sit there and watch and be like, "What the fuck is What the fuck is going on?"
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like a weird blur. And also I was just being, the thing we're good at, the Russells are really good at a crisis. <laughs> so in a way I was actually like, I was like, right, I do this and I do that and I go to the hospital and then I come home and then I revise and then I do my exam and then I come back to the hospital and then I do this. Oh my and God. Um, I got a special dispensation for one of my papers because it came in that time. And I think that's how I got an A in politics. So <laughs> cheers, mum. Um, but, um, but basically, so it's obviously this is a week from my birthday and then, Leading up to my birthday, we're going in and she's just getting worse and worse. And it got to that point where she wasn't really moving and she was hardly speaking. And then it was just her eyes could move and then her eyes actually couldn't really move much. And the, the consultant said, you know, we're really sorry, but we don't really think there's anything we can do. And we can try and keep going. But at the moment, the only thing that's keeping alive is gen- adrenaline and oxygen. And we sort of knew what that meant. We were like, well, this is just a bit inhumane. But they are like, we'll see. We're going to wait 24 hours and see until tomorrow. And my whole everything, I just felt the room go icy cold because we all knew what tomorrow was. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I know that my dad said recently, he was like, I just was going, please, Pho, come on. Just like another day, please. Yeah. Not her birthday as well as all of this. But actually, at the time, I didn't give a crap. No,
1: of course not. It was not. just another
2: day. It didn't matter at all. So you wake up on your 18th birthday
1: and you go to the hospital, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. like, first of all. And then did she
2: die while you were there? No. So so we were at the hospital, uh, let me think, and we'd got the call to say we're going to turn things off. Oh, yeah, we were all around her bedside. So you know that people um, can hear, th- they were told that they can hear things. Yeah, they say hearing is the last So thing we weren't sure what mum was aware of. Yeah. So we were talking to mum as if she was going to get better. We had decided as a group yeah. that in, the thought of her being petrified yeah. but in stuck in her body really upset us. So we thought we would continue. And who knows if this was just the wrong choice or not. The facade of she's going to get better. Mm. We just didn't want to scare her. So we were very much like, la, 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 you know, when you get out of here... This stuff I understand stuff. it, because you're dealing with someone with a mental health problem as well. So it's
1: not just like, we didn't know this person's dying of cancer. It's like, who knows what this person thinks is happening right Strangely,
2: now. Strangely, she was the most lucid she'd ever been Wow, when she went back into hospital. Not ever, sorry, but yeah. for had been for a while when she went into that hospital. So we thought maybe she was sort of compass mentors. And then the uh, consultant, poor woman, she came over She's so insensitive and she just went. So we just need to do the checks now and see if Fiona's organs are um, acceptable for organ donation. Oh, my God. (laughs) To you guys. It's in front of my mum. Wow. And she (laughs) squirmed. Oh, God. And she made a noise. And I think it was my sister that went, she can hear you. And this woman had just come over and talked about harvesting her organs in front of her. And we weren't even sure she knew she was dying. Mm. And we've been told since, oh, you know, her, her memory probably only lasted about thirty. Short-term memory is only about thirty seconds long or a minute long, and she'll have forgotten. But I think for a moment, she, she was trapped mm. and petrified, and that and uh, it kills me. It absolutely kills me. And then, um, so. There's another element to this story. It's mental. Um, so I was deputy head girl. <laughs> of course and you were. Of course I was. Of course, you were. Of course I was. Everything's fine, guys. <laughs> Look how fine it is. But also, of course I was. Yeah. I was just that kid that did everything. And um, I had organised with my deputy head boy friend, not boyfriend, my friend who was a boy, who was the deputy head boy, Rob. Uh, we'd been organising the Leavers Ball and it just so happened that it needed to be on my birthday. So the leavers ball was that night and oh my, God. Um, my family we're just so weird like we we'll just be like, well we've got to keep going.
1: So they said navy family that's a, I'm smelling a bit a bit of navyness in yeah. there like the ship's
2: still going. We've got to keep going. Yeah. You absolutely got to just we're un- in and we're not the dock yet on. my dear. Yeah. But also there was a sense of you've you've loved this school. This is the end of the year. Yeah. You've organized this thing. You you're going to go. Cinderella will go (laughs) to the ball. And so there was this thing of, I'm still going. And I was like, I don't really want to go, guys. And they were like, no, no, you're still going. And actually, I did want to go in a way. And so the plan was, um, we'd turn off everything. And then I'd wait for a while. And if she died, she died. And if she didn't, I would go home, have a nap, Get ready and go to the fucking ball. Get your go nap, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and my boyfriend would come round, and, and then I would go to this nap. No, to the ball. <laughs> and um, and so we turned everything off. And uh, and she didn't. She didn't die at the time. And the I'd been given a deadline about when I had to go home. And so I went home at the time I was told to go home. And she was still alive. She at was still point. alive.
1: Bloody hell, Charlie. I
2: know. And my sisters and my dad stayed, and I went home and did obviously nothing. Um my boyfriend came over with some presents. Um and then but then quite quickly my my family came home and so I knew that she had died and then we sort of sat there and then I had a shower and blow-dried my hair and my sister's curled it and I put on a dress and I went, oh my God, people are going to think I'm so awful. No, I don't think you're
1: awful at all. I just think, I just feel, you know what? I genuinely don't think you're awful. I I feel sad that you had to go through that because all I can hear is a family trying to make something normal when it yeah. really wasn't. But there's yeah. that, I can totally understand that, like, just... And I think in a way what it seems, and yeah, forgive me if this is unfair, it seems like it was probably more important for them that you went than it was for you. Because I imagine they wanted to see this normality and know that, like, we did we did what we could. We gave her a good birthday. Like, we love this mm. person. We love our sister. We love our daughter. And we want her to have the thing. And so we're going to curl her hair and put a dress and send her in the car. And that's going to make us feel like we did something today mm. other than her mum died. Yeah, And, you know, you are the baby of that family. And so I imagine the way it was such a... Yeah, there was such a... A, he- a sort of healing for everybody if if this person goes somehow somehow it's
2: alright somehow yes, we're, we're somehow. winning we're doing something right and we're definitely the family that's you know I heard I think it was Susan Wacoma's episode oh yeah you know yeah, yeah. my dad would have done exactly the same thing you better go and film if yeah. I'm dying like you do not wait around for me you yeah. don't miss out on an opportunity for, for anything else and um So we did ring my drama teacher because she's still my very, very good friend and she was probably the only teacher that knew and she was going to be there because she was one of the cool teachers. So she was going to be at the ball as one of the teachers. And um, so we told one person there, who um, knew? So in case I lost it, yeah, yeah. Um, but none of my friends. So if she, any of you listening, none of my friends knew. Wow. What had happened? And this boy who wasn't my boyfriend, he was just my friend. But he was. We were going to go together. So he picked me up. Poor guy. He had no. He has no idea. Um, he had a rose. It was very sweet. Oh my god. Went to the leavers' ball. Uh, my friends had organised a cake, and they all. Everyone. The school sang happy birthday. There was another boy in my year. whose birthday it was. We did the awards, um, and I had an amazing time mm. and I know this might sound strange to people and I'm totally people go through things in their own way and everything's different for everyone but for however many hours it was none of it had happened yeah for about four hours or however long and also was- I was in a different world it's like two parallel days yeah. and my mum hadn't died in fact none of that childhood stuff had happened yeah. I was it was like a dream or and and when I was at home, the dream was going to the ball. And when I was at the ball, the dream was that my mum had died. And the two things couldn't exist at the same time. Yeah. So I was just at this ball with my friends celebrating our time and life. And and I was fine. I just didn't drink. I just didn't trust gin not to give me away. <laughs> but you were being normal. Yeah, it was
1: amazing. And that seems like that must have been really important. And I think perhaps your dad and your sister's equally wanted something normal mm. out of this process that had not been the average situation for mm. a girl from your school and your back, I imagine, you know, you yeah. we were alone in that situation. So I completely understand being like, can we just be normal yeah. <laughs> like, and for I four don't, hours? I've
2: never really regretted it. Yeah. Because actually she died anyway. Yeah. She died before. I suppose I would have quite liked to have known, you know, that I could have stayed at the hospital for a few more hours. mm but also I know that some people say it's not that great, actually, to be there at the time. Um, and I know she wasn't alone because she had my family mm. with her. And no, I, I don't regret it. And I think, you know, we say it to convince ourselves, but, you know, would my mum have liked it had I gone? Maybe she would have. I mean, I don't really know. Um, but she was the same as us. She would always make us do stuff. So, so yeah. I just think it's,
1: it's no one's place to judge. Like you know what I mean? Like I just think it's no one else, but like who? Know, who the
2: fuck knows what you do? Yeah, and people have people have judged me when I've told them the story. Obviously, I'll tell them in brief. Oh, on the day that my mum died, I went to a leavers ball, and uh, you get that face, obviously. But that's not necessarily their fault. It's probably because I haven't really explained it. Um, but actually, I'm just like, yeah, cool. If you'd been there, you, you yeah. If it had been you, you might have done something different, or you might have actually done the exact same thing. You don't know.
1: Well, I never forget. I think I might have said it before. Well, I was in my theatre studies A level <laughs> class. We were talking about death or something, and I said, oh, you know... Or They were giving haven't given me shit about smoking, so I smoke an incredible amount of cigarettes. And my teacher said, I can't believe you smoked Cariad when your father died of cancer. <gasps> and I remember I said to her then, I said, come back to me when your dad's dying of cancer and tell me how you cope. Because I just thought, you don't know. You Did don't you know. actually say that? Yeah. My God,
2: you were so articulate. I was a
1: sassy, sassy teenager. Oh, that's so cool. Because <laughs> I just thought, well you know yeah of course of course of course logically yes if your father's dying of cancer you you would think well I shan't smoke because he's killed me but if that worked no one would smoke yeah. do you know what I mean like no one would uh, fall in love no one would cross the road like if yeah. we behaved sensibly we wouldn't do anything no, no so no I was like well yeah it's very easy to say anything but it's like yeah. I remember having a fag outside that cancer ward I wasn't the only one out there. <laughs> like, no, no. You know, because it's... And I, I get very annoyed when people, you know, often do say that, oh, you see these people outside the hospital with oxygen machines and having cigarettes. You're like, you don't, who the fuck knows what they're going honestly, through? Honestly. And who the fuck knows what... I think, you know, say you're, you're in a different world and your mum had had, like, a car accident and you all gathered around. I doubt you would have made those... Your family would have made those choices. Who am I to know? But that, coming from what you guys had come from and... Mm. That extreme of what you've been dealing with, and you being the child at home, and again, it's not to say that your sisters didn't suffer at all. Oh my like, gosh, and they did. Yeah, yeah, but like, I. It sounds like they just wanted you to have a nice time for once. Yeah,
2: maybe. And I think it's something that was really important to talk about with all of this is is um, guilt in grief. Yeah, I think yeah. um, because the other thing is that in that hospital, in that week, someone talked about her getting better, and. I thought, and, and then what? Yeah. She what? We leave hospital. A couple of months later, she gets to this place again and we come back into hospital. Is this just what's going to happen? And I know that this might be really, really difficult f- for people, but basically, if someone gave me a button that said, if you press this button, your mum hasn't died and it, it's all different, I, I don't think I would mm. press it because I was exhausted. Yeah. And I didn't want my mum to die. I've never, ever wanted my mum to die. And I wish she wasn't dead. And I miss her so much. But I also couldn't continue like that anymore. It had been all my life, 18 years of hiding and dealing with my mum, not really being a mum. You know, basically, if I could have my mum back well, yeah, I would,
1: yeah. yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, but
2: if she were to come back and it were to be like that again, I actually can't do that again, yeah, and I wish I just wish we'd been able to deal with mental health maybe in a way that we're more able to do now, because then maybe she'd have been able to accept it, and maybe it would never have gotten to that point, but basically, um, I wouldn't change it, and that takes up a lot of counselling time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that takes up a lot of the hours with a counsellor um am I allowed to be sad yeah because I wouldn't change it when I cry about my mum am I allowed because actually actually I wouldn't change it because I know people who who desperately would mm. quite rightly because maybe awfully you know their, their parent did die of cancer or in a, in a car accident and it was awful and wrong but that's because also before that person died, maybe it was okay. Yeah, and I, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, no. I think it's really you
1: know, we have talked about this the show as well. Like I having done many, many episodes, I think I can say count on one hand, the people that had a not complicated relationship with that parent and, and could say, Oh, I'd love them back now, it'd be amazing. I think I would say the major like ninety-five percent of the people I've spoken to on this show and in life, it's not a simple answer. No. And um, me and Robert Webb were talking about it of, like, if you're happy with where you are and you acknowledge that the reason you are the person you are is because of this tragedy, then there's not a part of you that – it's not like you're saying, oh, I'm glad it happened. But it's the part of you that acknowledges, I can't – what's the point of wishing it? I can't – there isn't that button. There's no point in wishing it. So maybe I have to just love love the things that happened. And I think what happened to you sounds incredibly complicated. Mm. Like, it's not – illness is – you know, a physical illness is one thing. And I had a very complicated relationship with my dad. And I, you know, I often think that. What would it be like if he, if he was here? And of course, there's part of me that's like, oh, it would be lovely. And there's another part of me going, I don't know how well we'd get on. I mean, I think we'd be all right now. But we would have, I know, it would have been a very difficult road to be all right with each other. Because we mm. really did row a lot. Mm. And um, and we were very similar. So that caused a lot of problems. So I think it's it's never... It's the thing, I think the only people who would ever say, would ever judge you for saying that are people who just don't get it, don't yeah. get that relationships with parents are very complicated, and
2: especially someone who has, sounds, was very seriously mentally ill. Very seriously mentally ill. Yeah. Like, there was a point where she thought the CIA were camping down at the bottom of the garden. I mean, my, my dad being, you know, in the Navy and actually speaking Russian isn't completely <laughs> illogical, but. She had some triggers. Yeah, here. you know, and, and she thought the BBC had stolen some of her ideas. And... You know, she had some serious issues. Um, I mourned the loss of my mum from the age of about 12. Do you know what I mean? And My dad probably mourned the loss of his childhood sweetheart. They met when they were 16. Wow. They were each other's, you know, I don't want to say first everything. (laughs) Um, And then they married, they had kids in the early 20s. Wow. And then I was born when they were 36 and 37. And they were married 32 years or something. You know, but actually we were... We'd all been mourning the loss of mumble f- f- for maybe 10 years, but yeah. in bits and bobs and then she'd come back a bit and then she'd be gone a bit. And actually, so, so it's it's
1: like a car accident in slow motion, mm. you know, and I've watched people go through nervous breakdowns and, and I found that very strange because when the breakdown happens, you're like, oh, yeah. That's been happening for five years. But at the time you can't say, Wow, this is really bad. You're just like, oh, that's another weird thing. Oh, that doesn't sound good that they did that. Mm. Oh, maybe oh, okay, they sound better. Because it's so it's like you said, it's tiny little things that add up to Mm. this eventual going, Oh shit, they're not okay. But it's very hard to grab those moments.
2: And I think in a way we always knew it was gonna kill her, but you're so close to it, you don't think, shit, mum's gonna drink herself to death. You just you're so close, just like, oh, we need to get through today or we need to get through this week. And because as well, because she'd had so many periods of time really fine and lucid and a great mum where she wasn't drinking, she gave her liver time to recover, so she really extended it out. Yeah. Um, but it's really difficult sometimes. that I, I feel like a real fraud, you know, that people people will say if they don't know the story, oh, I bet you just wish your mum was back, you know. I know, it must be so awful, and you just wish your mum hadn't died. And I think, ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh, yes, yes, that's right. And I just yeah. think, oh, I won't, I won't talk about it now. And then... I worry that I'm not allowed to be in the club because yeah. I'm not distraught at all times. Um, and that's really, really hard. And actually, it was a friend of mine said to me, and it made me cry, um, he just went, you just chose your life. Yeah. And that's really awful, but you cho- you choose your life because you have to, because no one else is going to choose your life. Mm.
1: Um, and what's the other option? Like, what's the other option yeah. if you hadn't car- chosen to carry on living? it's you dying and like that's not what anyone wants either and it's uh, i just think it's it's this idea that life is simple that you can that love and i get very annoyed and there's a big phrase of it at the moment of like you know love is grief is the price you pay for love and i think fuck off i really hate it a lot of people tweet me about it and I'm sure it's helpful to you. If it's helpful to you, great, grand, enjoy. But for me, it's like, as if it's that fucking simple. Mm. As if I, they love me, therefore I grieve them. I'm not saying everybody has that. I'm sure some people do go, I love them, that's why I'm grieving. But I just think most relationships are much more complicated than that. And you know, your mum was really ill and like, what was the other option? That you stayed living with her while she was not safe
2: and you were a child? And she she died as I became an adult, technically. So yeah, I I was an (laughs) underage person and you'd been dealing with that
1: since you were four years old I mean what the like
2: yeah that's huge yeah and actually also it's 11 years ago right and I was I think I think I was saying today I was like I don't know if I can go on grief cast because I'm not okay and I'm not sorted and it was 11 years ago and I should totally be sorted by now And then I was like, oh, no, 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 that's the whole point. People need to know that it is okay to be 11 years on and still working through it, man. Dude, 20 years. And it's almost gotten worse. Like, sometimes it was, like, good, and then actually I was being honest, and it got worse. And then go to counselling because it's the only way is to talk about so it so when did
1: you go to counselling what how long did it take because i mean it took me 20 years so how long did
2: it take it, it? took me i started when i was at lambda and I had a couple of sessions it was rubbish um but basically properly i was maybe 25 26 and did you go private or did you just go i to did go private yeah. um Thank you, West End yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, I went private because I just needed to go. I wasn't sleeping. I told myself, oh, I'm not sleeping, so I should just go to some counselling. It's not about the mum stuff. I'm fine with all of that. It's just that I'm finding it difficult to sleep. <laughs> just need to figure out why I can't close my eyes at night, guys. I just <laughs> wonder why I can't sleep. Two weeks before my birthday. Oh and, my God, <laughs> and then dude. it all came out. And um, actually, she's been amazing. And... I just think everyone should go whether they've got this big thing in their life or not because mm. it's sort of like going to the gym but for your mental health. And if you
1: can afford it, I think that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, of it course. Is, it's really, because, you know, it's really tricky but I, and that's the problem with mental health at the moment that the funding's just being slashed mm. left, right and centre. But, but there I, are
2: people who do like affordable Yes, that's thing, true. I really I know,
1: look for it. Definitely in London there's a kind of pay what you can scheme mm-hmm, as well they look at means mm-hmm. tests they don't know I know that in London if you're listening somewhere else I'm sure there is tweet me I'll, I'll tweet it and we'll find somewhere um but yeah so you found the counselling helpful then so how long have you been in therapy is that a couple of years so
2: I went for about two and a half years um and then I went to New York so couldn't see her anymore uh, so we just did Skyping and then she's now gone on sabbatical <laughs> so I am um, just starting up with someone new which is always a little tricky yeah, yeah. um just seeing how it goes but f- particularly with this lady um, Sasha, who uh, she might even listen. Um, it. I found it at first. I thought, oh, I just need to get a few things sorted, and then I'm fine. Mm. And I. But actually, I just embraced being really honest with her. So I'd sometimes go and be. Like, I don't really want to talk to you today, mm. because the fact that I'm here means that I'm not okay so actually I don't really like you today and she'd be like mm, okay cool that's fine I get it and she was really what was good about her was she was very very chilled and she would laugh at my jokes because yeah. <laughs> I really need to make people laugh <laughs> some
1: therapist my friend Jess's therapist refuses to laugh at her jokes because she says she's got a problem with trying to entertain people <laughs> Well I'm like mine doesn't laugh at mine it's, just, it's like a it's like a thing of like, you're you're using the humour at this point to try and deflect. So she just sort of waits for me to stop doing it. And I hate it because I'm like,
2: come on, give me something. Oh my God, no, I couldn't handle yeah, that. Yeah, it's quite Yeah, Recently quite a counsellor sort of practically told me off for laughing. Because yeah. I sort of went, I said, oh, my mum died on my birthday. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what? Why yeah. is that classic? And I said, well, because, you know, my tragic life and that. And I'm like Harry Potter, and, and <laughs> I've got a great, and a, yeah, I've got a complex. And, and she wasn't laughing. She went, "I think that's actually really sad." <laughs>
0: and I was
1: like, "No uh, shit, yeah, obviously. I know it is.
2: So I'm trying to make it a little bit more bearable." But no, this, this cancer was great. And the main thing was just realizing that because it was affecting me now. Of course, it, every little relationship it I is. have, I'm I'm behaving in a way, you know, with Dave, it really almost got in the way completely Mm. because i was thinking i've got to be fun and nice and easygoing and not a burden and not land him with all this shit otherwise he'll leave me but all that was doing was just putting a barrier between us and him going i kind of said i wanted to be your boyfriend but you're not really letting me be your boyfriend and maybe (laughs) this isn't going to work and i'm going yeah fine whatever it's fine i don't i just don't want to be a burden he's like that's kind of worse this is worse (laughs) um and it's been so so useful to know also that you can have an hour, because it can be quite difficult for people. I worry about boring people. I worry about burning people. I worry about it all being too much for people, especially when your story is quite complicated.
1: Yeah, I think that must be hard because it's yeah. not like, oh, and I, you know, we've said this when we've talked about um, death from suicide as well, because Ooh, it's like yeah. you know, anything where it's like, oh, how they're going to react. Like, I have a little bit of that of like, oh, oh I'm going to have to say my dad's dead. I hope you're all right with that. But I don't have to worry. I'm like, people go, how? And I go, pancreatic cancer. And that's kind of the end of that story. Like, they don't need any more details because they're like, sure, cancer. Got it. People ask me how.
2: yeah, And that's, When people ask me how and I go.
1: I guess you have to say it's complicated, right? What can you, what else can
2: you say? It depends. So I used to be like, oh, um, multiple organ failure. But I'd say it in a way. I think I must use, I used to be able to say it in a way. I didn't realise I was doing this but said, no more, no (laughs) more questions, please.
1: Oh, definitely. You'd be like, okay, that's vague and she sounds like she don't want to talk. Yeah,
2: and I didn't even realise I was doing it. I'd be like, well, nobody ever asks me. And it's obviously because I was saying, don't ask me, don't ask me. Um, But actually now it's interesting, the more I talk about it, the more helpful it's been for other people. Like, oh, wait, your mum drank, my dad drank, oh, okay. And mental health problems, oh right, yeah, actually me too and I don't know who to talk about it with anyone or my life's a little bit easier now, that person isn't here. Ah, yeah. is that okay to say? And you're like, yes, it is. And Ashling V talks about how yeah. it, maybe I am a little bit more sensitive or, or to people or a good listener or a better, slightly better friend or a little bit less judgmental, who knows? Maybe none of those things and that's yeah. all wishful thinking but it's all sort of part of of what makes you so yeah the more the more I'm sort of open about it the better and actually now when if someone can't deal with it like that seven, poor seven-year-old girl um <laughs> I just think oh that's fine you don't have to deal with it and it's less of a f- personal yeah it, I take it less personally and I'm absolutely not not for you right now and I
1: think I know everyone's grief journey is so different but I really do think that's a big part of the grief journey and perhaps if it happens naturally, so say you're like, you know, in your 60s and your mum dies. And so like you, you don't, re, you know, you get to your 80s and think, well, I guess people were doing their best. But like we just have gone through it much quicker. Mm-hmm. So it's like because I was 15, you're 18. So by the time we get to our 30s, we're like, I mean, sure, you just dealt with that really badly when I told you my dad died. Okay. Mm. But I think sometimes, definitely, people I've spoken to at the beginning of the grief journey, I'd say like five, you know, five, six, seven years on, then they're like, "Why do they say that? Why do they do?" It? Or I try to tell someone, "You're like, yeah, they. Some people are bad." Yeah. <laughs> but I feel so much less. I don't feel. I don't feel anger when people get it wrong anymore. But um. I used to really feel like, fuck you. Like, yeah. oh, you can't handle my pain and my truth. And now I'm just like, yeah, you can't handle my pain or my truth. That's fair enough. But well, I just
2: wouldn't tell anyone. Yeah. So no one could not <laughs> handle it. But then I was really angry at everyone yeah, for, for not not handling Like I was just like, why am I so upset and nervous all the time? And I can't sleep. And I said, oh, I'm crazy. I'm broken. Mm. And actually, going to counselling made me realise there are reasons for this behaviour, but it doesn't make you broken. It just, it's all part of what makes you kind of more interesting. Oh my God, Charlie. Well, I think in despite of all this, you are strong. Mm-hmm. You are
1: amazing. The fact that you have come through this and you are, you know, you have got help for it, I think is incredible. Like, it is, that does not sound like an easy journey. So I think hats off to you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for talking to me about foam
2: oh you're welcome she would have loved this she'd have been telling everyone about it she'd be very proud oh good i'm glad i'm glad that we got to remember her today thank you
1: you can follow charlie on twitter at cf underscore russell that's two s's two l's and do follow mischief comedy as well at mischief comedy and that's where you can find out all the information about the various plays they're doing they're still available in the west end um they did stuff for the bbc it might still be an iPlayer. so do 100 go and see their shows and see charlie doing things because she's a brilliant fantastic performer You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thegriefcast and you can email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios and the music is provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, particularly this week, you are not alone.